and Ed. Hello, I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And welcome to the Lack of Focus podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to another episode of Lack of Focus. I am your host, Ed Horner, and alongside me tonight, my very good friend, Mr. Sean Dorsey. Sean, how's it going, my friend? Not too bad, Ed. How are you doing? I'm good. And, of course, our producer extraordinaire, one Mr. Chris Sheriff. Chris, how's it going, my friend? I feel like you were reaching for an episode number and then didn't know it. So it's I did. I did. 140. Um, is 140. it? 140. 140. Yeah. Holy. Well, because I know we stopped really counting episode numbers, so I stopped memorizing what number we were on. I started putting them back in because I was like, so for, this throws back to what we were just talking about before we uh, we went live. But um, for Deploy Garrison, I drew the line and said, okay, we should do seasons so that we can tell what's relevant information. So we're now on season two, episode two, was the one I just put out for. And that was like, well, for us, because we're a different type of show, I was like, you know what, maybe maybe I will keep remembering and like, we'll just have um, the Joel Rogan-esque um, infinite... Yeah. Show 2000. All right, well then, moving forward, it will be show numbers it is. So, episode 141, horror. No, 140. 140. The, the last one was 139, yeah. Yeah. Because uh, episode... I also rolled in the, um, so how did I structure it? The um, in-focus movie has changed to in-focus movie reviews, and that is a sub-genre which is still a numbered episode. I've been back and forth on whether I was going to break it out or not, but just doing it like that seemed easier. I agree. All right, so in episode 140, we're going to be covering horror in your tabletop RPGs. Can it be done right? But, of course, before we get to the main topic, we're going to be doing some catch-up on what we've been doing lately in the gaming and the hobby. Uh, we did have a movie episode last time, which means we didn't really talk about that much last week or last episode, so... Sean, what have you been up to lately, my friend? Well, that's a good question, as always, because I always forget what the heck I do over the two weeks. But uh, I, I know one big thing that you did over the last couple of weeks. What's that? I don't remember. We're going to Adepticon, Sean. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. We, we have, haven't uh, talked about this. I've had to keep my mouth shut about this for three weeks. Yeah, that's true. We are, uh, we are heading to Chicago or the Chicago land area, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I am looking forward to that very much. So even though I probably don't hear it in my voice, but that's about as expressive on <laughs> anything it unless is. I'm super passionate about it. He's, he's elated. If, if, if it's not fish tanks or arcade machines, that's as much excitement as you get. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, no, so we're, uh, we are renting an Airbnb that's about 15, 20 minutes away from the convention center. So we're going to be a little bit further away this year than we were last year. But um, the house that we picked out on Airbnb looks awesome. Uh, it's got a nice living room, dining room area. Um, Sean intends to bring a boatload of games for us to play um, to kind of fill some of that time in between the gaps. Um, I'm kind of, I, I don't want to trample all over your particular story, so I'll, I'll hold off on what my plans are at Adepticon. I'll just leave yours. I mean, plus all the other stuff you've got to cover. Yeah. So for mine, it's, uh, my Adepticon life will be pretty, pretty simple. I've signed up for a few things. Um, and a, a part of it is when, uh, Ed and his son are in a tournament that day, I'll, I'm not signing up for any tournaments or anything like that. I'm doing demos and, 
I kind of am in a tournament, I guess. I'm in the Aerodrome tournament um, with Wade's game um, of Aerodrome. Hopefully it'll arrive pretty soon. Um, I know they were sending sending them out, so hopefully I'll get it here in the near future and um, can put some stuff together. But yeah, I plan on bringing some games. I'm going to bring my alpha ta- my son's alpha table because I gave mine away. Um, but my he has the alpha table two or whatever it was. Um, so we'll just I'll pack that in the car and then Ed can unpack it when we get there. And uh, yep, looking forward to it. And then I'll try to find a rug or something to put under it, you know, because it has straight legs with covers, but we don't want to scratch any floors or rip any carpet, so we'll have to sure, sure. come up with something for that. But uh, then we can play some 40K or even just board games, to, you know, larger, smaller board games. And uh, um, I, don't so think it's, I don't think it's a can't. I think it's a, we absolutely are going to. Um, yeah. Gabe's going to have his army. I'm going to have your army there. You, Gabe's going to have his. I'm going to have mine. You haven't actually played uh, an actual game, so I think it'd be kind of fun to kind of get you in and toss some models on, throw some dice around it. It'll be fun. It's going to be looking forward yep. to it. Yeah, we'll all put together a list, and then... Um, or we can we'll, put together a list be, with you while you're there. It'll be fun. Yeah, I'm not going to bring ever, like, because I have roughly two armies of Space Marines now. <laughs> right, right. No, now bring, that the Imper- Imperium Magazine stuff's done, but I have... Almost probably two full armies of Space Marines, and then I have um, an army of Astra Militarum. Those won't be making the trip because they're not assembled yet. But yeah, no, that's fine. Um, what else have I done? I uh, I am waiting on my 4K pinball machine to arrive. Oh, that still hasn't come yet. Uh, it'll be here the 31st. That's the day it's it's scheduled to arrive. So. And the way that they did it was they had you do a, uh, like, um, you put a deposit down on it. And then when they were, you know, finished, of course, being built in China, um, then they came over on the boat. And then when they arrived, then they had you pay for it and stuff. And so I got the notification the other day that it's going to be here on the 31st. And I also bought a, called an SSF kit, um, but it's a sound effects kit for it. Yeah, and what what people don't understand, a lot of people don't understand about pinballs. If you understand pinballs, the haptics of a pinball machine aren't what you think they are. Even a mechanical pinball machine has solenoids and haptics that are not connected to what you see in the game, but are actually a subset of what's in the game. So like bumpers and even your flipper sounds, things like that, they're actually haptic sounds from the pinball machine and when you do a digital pinball machine everything has to be done through either solenoid bangers or uh basically sounds so the the actual system is um you know it's actually pretty good it's for you know having just the two regular speakers that come on it it's from what i've heard from videos it sounds really good but when you put surround sound effects on it, um, it's just, I mean, it, it blows it away. It has a bass subwoofer in it and then four, four, four other speakers that are inside the cabinet so that when you hit the flippers, it's going to it's gonna sound like the flippers from where the flippers are located inside the machine or the ball hits every which way. Now, one of the things about, you know, 
sound and, and things like that is your brain actually plays games with you too, where when you hit the flipper button and the sound happens, a lot of times it's still just coming out of speakers, but your brain picks it up as it's coming out of the where the flippers are located, and that's where you think you hear it from and stuff. So so I'm really, really, really looking forward to that arriving. Um, I probably won't get it set up the day that it comes because I still have to make space in my arcade, but it'll be set up pretty soon. The SSF kit won't be here for a couple weeks, probably. They got kind of delayed by the Chinese New Year. So, <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. Um, and then the other thing I did is I picked up a uh, Amiga 500 Mini, which Ooh. I'm really excited for, because to me, I think when you look at modern-day computers and computer gaming, and, like, computer gaming from when I was a kid, like on an Apple II, Commodore 64, that's kind of like that mid-ground computer where it just, it was, to me, the most fun was playing on my friend Matt's Amiga. He had an Amiga 500, and we would play, constantly play games on that thing. If um, you'd have told me you were in the market for that, I have one here in the garage right now, still in the box. Really? Really, really, oh. I, if I'd have known you were looking for one, I don't think I have a power supply that works for it, but I definitely have the computer itself and it still functions. Yeah, it doesn't come with a power supply. It comes with a cord, but you got to, you know, it's going to be the three to five volt, you know, regular power supply. Right, right. And really all it is, it's just an emulator. You know, it's not like it's a... Oh, you got, okay, you got the emulator. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I thought you yeah. went out and one of the originals. Well, no, 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 not an original Amiga. I would love an original amiga but if it you know they're it's well just like one any... might fall in your lap whenever you're on your way to chicago then <laughs> yeah i would love that and any games you got with it too i'll see what if i you... can dig up okay um but the good thing about like when you get these emulators you know because they have the atari emulators they have the amiga sure. commodore 64 and one thing about these systems is the community behind them are gigantic i mean i i I was actually kind of surprised. I was, I found a Facebook group for the mini and I was thinking, you know, 50 to a hundred people. Now there's like 10,000 in this group and out there still playing up. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, you can find the ROMs online and it's just, it's amazing what people are doing with, you know, and this is one that you buy, you know, it was a hundred bucks on Amazon and it's like, it looks like a little Amiga 500, but then it emulates 500, um, 600, and 1200 games. It's, it's I've got a, a guy I work with who's really on the C64 run right now. Yeah. And he's got like four or five of them up and running. He's been fixing them. He's been doing cap replacement, stuff like that. Um, and if you know how to do that stuff, that's where having those old computers are really good because something breaks and it's just like a um, arcade machine actual yeah. real original arcade machines if you know how to recap the tubes on the on the monitors for those things then you can you know it it's worthwhile to have those types the problem for me is they take up too much space and i don't know the electronics behind it you know yeah you, yeah you, no, you I have to have to understand so getting the emulated stuff to me is well worth the money paying for it and then you know having a pre-built pcb and i also understand too that you know if you know it's electronics today so they're they're basically you know in in a sense a raspberry pi the 
um, single board computer. And, you know, so if it dies, you know, it's going to die and you're not out a super amount of money, but it's, you know, it's like grown up toys, basically. Yeah, that's why I'm interested in this type of stuff. Yeah, my buddy with the, the guy I work with that's doing the, uh, does the car, uh, 664 has got a, a cartridge. You can plug into the cartridge slot and then, of course, it's got a micro SD card plugged into it. He's got every game that was ever made for the C64 yeah. and it, it all works. It's amazing. He sent me a video and I'm like, that's just insane. That someone yeah. went to that level of effort to design something for such an old computer. Like, yep, every game, every game ever made for the Commodore 64 is on this one cart. I can play them all. Yeah, but we also have that if you buy, you know, if you, I bought the SD card for the Steam Deck. Sure. Yeah, you know, and it has thousands and thousands of games on it. And I have a 16 terabyte hard drive that's attached to my computer shell that has every game ever you know it's just in a different format so i could play it on my computer and that's kind of what i like i like having the variety you know the the cool thing is i got one of the the amber decks um i got that arrived this week too and which one did you get i've got the 350 myself i don't remember i don't i'd have to look it up um but it's it has different it has different games than like what my other stuff has for the most part. It doesn't have like all the super popular games, but it has the, the, the game gear games or whatever it was, the handheld from um, Sega, Sega, which was the first handheld I ever owned was a game gear. And it was in Neo Geo and it was in color and the game still beat it out in sales. Yeah. Yeah. It's because of battery life. Oh yeah. Yeah. It took twice as many batteries. And drained them in like half as much time. I, yeah, I agree. That, I agree. Yeah. I also think there was something about the power behind Nintendo and their marketing that kind of felt the Game Boy out too. Yeah, I mean, Sega did not do a great job of marketing. I'll be they honest did not. with you. They they had the better system all the way around. You know, the, the Sega to me to me was better than the NES. But. I, I would agree that the Genesis was better than the Super Nintendo, but again, I know that's probably blasphemy to some people. Um, right. I, I've i played the Master System, and I don't know what it was for you, Chris. Was it still the Master System? Cause... Yeah, it's only the Mega Drive that's different for yeah, you. The, the... Yeah. yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe the games were better on that. I, j- I, j- I, have, I had no emotional attachment to it, and so I didn't really enjoy it as much. Uh, I do remember having a friend that had a Master System and not a Nintendo, and remember playing some of the games on there. But like, whenever people talk about classic games from that era, it's your it's your Super Mario's, it's your Legend of Zelda. Like, I don't. I aside from what like Alex Kidd, can you na- can I name another quote unquote classic game off of the Master System? I I can't. <laughs> Shinobi, Shinobi might be another one I'm thinking of that might be a, a classic game off the Master System. So for me with with the Sega, the Genesis, Master System, whatever you want to call it, the whatever it was in England, you know. The Mega Drive. That weird place across the pond, you know. Um, <laughs> the the funny thing about it was, to me, was that, like, I liked the sports games that were on there. That, that was, at, at the time that I played, when I played the, so I was never a Super Nintendo guy. So I had an NES and I had a few games on it, but track and field was the big one, you know. And then with the 
with the um, Genesis, oh, it boy. was Mad. It was Madden Hockey. Uh, yep. NHL, was, NHLPA '93. Oh my God! Such yeah, it was, a great it game. was the e, EA Sports games. You know, those were the ones until PS One came out. You know, which then those games. You know, when it, when you got to the uh, EA Sports, NCAA College, whichever version it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And you could play. I, I believe Nebraska. you pronounced that wrong, Sean. What's that? So I'm fairly certain it's EA Sports. It's in the game. Oh. It's in the game. <laughs> Yeah. I love that campaign. I really did. That's whenever EA cared about the products that they made. No, well, it's all they. When they started saying that, they had every license imaginable locked down. Well, they yep. they didn't and, have and just down, cashed guys. in on FIFA and so, Madden. So mm-hmm. in in Madden, after a while, you know, they had the Players Association in hockey in the hockey game NHL games. I don't think that they had the players association right they, away they did later on because yeah, i again because the one that, that i just spit out which was the nhlpa 92 or 93 um i because i remember playing mario lemieux in in the uh the, the playoffs against the caps first this you couldn't run a full season on that one but you could pick up the playoffs with any team you wanted in right. that i remember that that's when you had blood on the ice when you had injuries and stuff oh great game yeah great game but- the fighting with the instigator. Yes. Know? Yes. And I think, I think that game, the, what the retro version of that game was 95 was the best version. Oh yeah. Um, it's like, uh, well, 95, they took the blood out too. Yes. Yeah. But, but everything else was about as true to form as you could get for that type of a game. Um, but yeah. So anyway, I don't want to get too far down the, the road to, you know, retro, retro gaming. Games. Oh yeah, um, but yeah. So that's kind of what I've done. I played some Project Zomboid, of course, some Magic, um, a little bit of WoW. Um, WoW World of Warcraft went to like a season thing, kind of like what they do in Diablo. It's di- way different than that, though. But um, so you're playing the classic WoW. It's a new way to play classic WoW, and right now it's uh, level locked at 25. So Ooh. you can't go above 25. So it's fun to play. I love classic WoW. It's it's my favorite version of WoW, even more so than Burning Crusade or Wrath of the Lich King. And so basically, like the the big dungeon right now is, uh, I think it's like uh, Black Fathom Deep or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, you can't go but, much bigger than that. I went level cap to twenty five. Right. You can go to uh, not Scarlet Monastery. What's the other one? Um, I don't. Know, I don't remember. It's one by Selshore. Um Something keep shadow fang keep or something like that. That sounds accurate. Yeah, you can do some of that, but you know you're you're mm-hmm. uh, gaining equipment outside. But they added some changes to the game, doing it where you have runes that are. Um, it's kind of like inscribing things onto your equipment that allows you to do more thing. You know, like uh, makes you a little bit better. It's a little bit different and. I hope they do more with it, though, to make it more exciting and, you know, keep people enthused a little bit more. Um, Because when you level cap, you're kind of limited in what you can do unless you're making new characters, you know, continuously. So, yeah, other than that, that's about all I've done. That and work. Work, work, work. (laughs) I Um, heard that. So, But I've I've actually started writing my list for Adepticon. 
of the things that I want to take, you know, food and all of that type of stuff. So. Yeah, we haven't got we haven't gotten to that part yet as far as we're, we'll probably start sorting that out the closer we get. Yeah. Um, so that kind of rolls nicely into mine. Obviously, I kind of did it with an excitement and kind of jumped a little on uh, on Sean's excitement. But we are going to Adepticon again. Gabe and I have already booked the time. We've booked the we bought our tickets. Oh, boy, was that a fun experience. Um, uh, Sean and I are on a Discord call in the morning before the tickets go on sale. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, they're going to go on sale here in a minute. And I'm like, I'm getting on the computer about five minutes before they go on site. And the site's impossible to get on to. Yep. Holy cow. And um, I was actually on it at the time, and I couldn't get my tickets. I couldn't sign up for anything. I actually had to get out of the site and then go back into it. Yeah, we ended up getting our tickets before you. Yes, but everything I wanted to do was filled up. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, by the time we got the tickets, the one so Gabe and I talked. We had a we had a good long talk about this, and he wasn't particularly interested in playing in the competitive event this year. Um, he's like, you know, I don't feel like I'm driving all that way, nine hours to just have my teeth kicked in for two days straight. He's like, I'd rather just play, like, I just want to go there and have fun. I just want to do something for fun. I'm like, whoa, we'll just play the 40k friendly event. It's a 104 person event. It's supposed to be completely chill, you know, no competitive kind of mindset. Um, by the time, and again, this is about eight minutes after the site went up when we finally, finally got in. Um, they were down to 30 tickets. So Gabe and I got two tickets for the 40k friendly. So anyone that's listening and they intend to go to Adepticon, they're playing the 40k friendly. You'll see us there. It'll be fun. Um, and at the exact same time, Chad was trying to buy tickets. Uh, he was on his phone. He was on um, his place of work's crappy um, Wi-Fi and was never able to get in. And by the time he did get in, the tickets were gone. I think 30 minutes. Within 30 minutes, the 40k um, friendly was sold out. It was gone. Team event gone like so many of those events in the first 30 minutes of that website being open gone holy cow but we we're lucky we were able to get those in um i signed up for some demos just like uh sean did sean actually got me hooked on the idea um our good friend our friend acquaintance professional um uh I don't know. Professional acquaintance uh, Alex Davy, who used to work with Fantasy Flight Games and or used and used to do a lot of X Wing from Wave Four all the way up, uh, has moved over to WizKids Games and he is doing the new revival of the Star Trek miniatures game over at uh, WizKids Game, uh, Star Trek Into the Unknown. I signed up for two demos for that. It's on pre-order on their website. My sincerest hope um, is that they'll have some there for sale at Adepticon. It would be really nice if they did, because I think I'd, I'd like to walk away from it because this box set looks awesome. The minis look gorgeous. So I think I signed up for a couple of those and I'm genuinely, truly looking forward to just kind of like hanging out with Sean and playing games. Um, if I have to drive to Chicago to do it, I will. It'll be kind of fun. Um, we're gonna, it, It'll be great. It's going to be great. So Adepticon is going to be a fantastic event, as it always is. Um, so that's, uh, that was some of the big stuff. Aside from that, um, we started our, uh, 40k league at the store. Uh, we kicked off uh, our first week this past week. Uh, we have 14 people chipping in and some crazy mad lad. I don't know who he was. Um, when he heard that we were doing a 40k league, it was one of the employees that worked there. I, I guess the employees built up in-store credit for working there that he hadn't spent any, um, uh, went completely apeshit crazy and blew like 400 bucks to help the league and bought $400 worth of 40K models off the shelf, um, cut the UPC codes off them so you couldn't buy them or resell them from the store and just donated them to the league. 
So not only are we do we have prize support of the $140, it's going to kind of be in the pot. It's a friendly league, so we distribute our prizes at random, so that'll literally be names out of a hat kind of thing. Um, but we also have models to support the league for the next three to four leagues. So that's going to be fun. Uh, and then the last little bit of news, I don't know if I told you this, Sean, I got a side job at the fish store because <laughs> I want to hang out there and be at the fish store more often. I've already worked my first shift. I work there again tomorrow. I'm only doing it on, I'm only doing it on Saturdays. It's only for a few hours on a Saturday. Right. I sold fish. I was catching fish. I spent time like I, I waited on customers and all that, but oh my God, am I going to have a ton of fun working there? Um, mostly because of being in the environment, being around it all the time. Um, oh yeah. They have two freshwater rays that I guarantee you at some point in time in the next six months that are going to come home to my house. I just need to find a home for them. Um, yeah. I don't have my camera on because somehow somebody Gabe took his camera, took the camera to his buddy's house and left it there. Um, but there's a futon directly behind me that I'm like, hmm, that can go. We don't really use that. And then make a perfect, <laughs> nice long tank, you know, a nice 150 long tank to be able to put some freshwater rays in. I think that's exactly where they should belong. You, so, you know, what's fun. You know, what's funny about big fish tanks. What's that? Is, is the 150 looks big, but the 300 will be much better. What do you mean? As far as. So you're, you, you want rays, right? Well, those things aren't, you know, they're small now. But they get to be, you know, 12 inches, you know. They do. And you want that 300 if you're going to bring home a couple rays. I'm looking forward to it. The ones at the store are babies, but like as I was going through, oh my God, there's this dude that works there. I'm not going to call him up anymore. I'll just call him E for short because that's pretty much everyone at the store calls him. Um, Holy cow, is this kid knowledgeable. Oh, yeah. Um, He... Also works at the Pittsburgh Zoo. He's an educator at the Pittsburgh Zoo whenever he's not at the fish store. But he was my education on cichlids. And he knew every territory, every place they came from. And it was interesting kind of going through. He's like, oh, yeah, you see these brown ones? When These little ones here? Oh, man, they get to be about, you know, and you can't see me in the hands. They're about 12 inches long. And they're, like, gorgeous in color. And he's, like, showing me pictures online. And I'm like, but it's brown right now. He's like, yeah, they're babies now. When they get into adulthood, holy cow, are they colorful. Well, that's that's like for me. If I were you, if 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 I were gonna get a big tank and get things like rays for the bottom, I would do angelfish in mine. They've got a ton of angels there. Yep. Because I was one, I was wondering that what I could put in with freshwater rays. I mean, because don't get me wrong, the freshwater rays are really really cool, but that's an awful lot of tank for two fish, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna build it out. You'll you'll build a whole ecosystem out. If you do, I don't know if you'll be able to do much in the way of live plants, but you could do like floating plants and, you know, well, cause they're going to, they're going to rip the plants up, aren't they? Yeah. But that's okay because the environment you want to build is for them. And another fish that's great for that environment would be angelfish. And the reason why I say that is because when you go from that 150 to 300 size tank, those are taller tanks, you know, 55 gallon is a 29 gallon tank. That's basically double, you know? Yeah. It's roughly, I know it's not exactly that, but it's the same width, the same height, and then you're just lengthening out for 55 gallons. So you think about a 55-gallon tank and how thin that, because it's not a thick tank, it's not a deep tank. But when you go to 125, 150, all the way up to 300s, they get to be like 24 inches wide. And so your your strata that you have in there and what you can do, and Chris, you're correct. I'm talking about fish, so I'm getting excited. <laughs> you um, can hear it in his voice, too. <laughs> yeah. 
But what you would do then is you want a fish that's gonna that's gonna maximize the tank, which like angelfish, people don't realize. You know, angelfish when you buy them, they're usually you know a size of a quarter, maybe you know, mm-hmm. maybe bigger, you know, maybe a half dollar. But they can get to be you know twelve inches from tip to tip on their you know their long fins. And they're, you know, it's the same with discus. You know, if you buy discus, now you want the environment for a discus, which is different. But what you want to do is you want to get whatever fish goes with the water quality of those rays. That's the yeah. key. And that, that, I'm going to, obviously, I have a fantastic resource there to be able to determine what's the best fish to go with them. They also right. have, Sean, you're going to love this. They have um, a used sale the second Saturday of every month. Okay. So what ends, what ends up happening is they still there's they're the type of shop that still maintain people's tanks in their homes, and if people oh, elect wow. if people elect to like they don't want to be in the hobby anymore they want to do anything they have a whole section in the warehouse uh, of just used stuff and the way that it works if it doesn't sell this week they lower the price until it goes next week until they just keep lowering it and um, they already have some big tanks down there I might I might have to keep my eyes open i was actually genuinely surprised because i made this comment to my wife whenever i got back and she's like you know we could just get rid of the futon if you want to put a big tank down there because i mean if it's gonna be that big and you don't want something in the basement because it's heavier and i'm like she's not fighting me on it that means that they're coming home <laughs> well the, the best part about it is you only need to buy the tank don't buy the stand build the stand build the stand okay because yep. uh you know two by fours man you know sure it's you could you could build a stand for thirty bucks instead of paying three hundred and fifty to five hundred bucks for that big of a stand. Sure, I guess I for me like it's it's a little bit of out of my comfort zone as far as water quality as far as what they need. Well, I'm talking about just the stand itself, you know. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I know, I know. I've got as a lot. As, I, as far as tanks go, the, the bigger the tank, the more forgiving the tank is. No, I know, but I don't know like what the pH they prefer. Oh. Uh, do you know what I mean? Like what type? Yeah, just you know, all you got to do is look it up online. They'll they'll be just like any other fish. Really? The differences will be like the types of food that they eat and stuff like that. Well, I think I, I don't know if I've ever told this. I don't know if I've ever told you the story. I know I've told this story before to other people. The reason I've had a fascination with freshwater rays for a, two decades, and when I was living in, I forget where, where I was living at the time, I went into this fish store. Um, and the guy there had freshwater rays. It's the first time I'd ever seen them ever in a fish in a in a pet store in any way, shape, or form. And when I walked into the store, he was feeding the rays and he was feeding them night crawlers. And he literally would just put them on the glass, put his hand in the water, and they would come up to him and eat them out of his hand. Yeah. And I'm like, because yeah, they're they're an so intelligent cool. fish. They're they're actually an in, they're kind of like octopi in a way, as far as intelligence goes. You know, where they they have a personality. You know. They'll they'll actually react to you and have a personality with you. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I am looking forward to it. And remember, they are still stingrays. Yeah, I'm aware. Uh, so you'll love this one. I got stung by my first fish ever in my entire life in the entire hobby because I had uh, five corridors and a and a net. And I was getting ready to put them in a bag, and one of them got stuck in there, and I was trying to get him out, and he fucking stung me. Yeah, he got you with his spines. Yep. Yep, I've I have never been stung by a corridor or, or a catfish of any kind in my entire life until that day. Yeah, so it's interesting for sure. Yeah, I mean it, it hung in there for a good thirty to forty minutes. I mean it wore off eventually. No ill effects after the fact, but right. yeah, I definitely felt it when it happened. Yeah, little just fish. Don't jump, just don't jump in the tank with the stingrays. Don't Steve Irwin us. I'm not. They're all right right now. They're only the size of like I don't know a, a coaster. 
Like, like, I, do you know what I mean? They're not that big right now. Yeah, I know they're going to be gonna... the size of home plate. So, <laughs> yeah, I know they're going to get big. I'm looking forward to it. All, All right. right, Chris, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> I, I... <laughs> How do you follow that up? <laughs> I mean, I've just done like hobby related things in gaming, so nothing anyone will be interested in really. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was oh, all hobby a, uh, it was just a different hobby that's all <laughs> um so i've been trying out a bunch of um legions imperialis uh playing a lot of that but i say a lot i played um two games of that just doing 1500 points at the moment i think like average size is like 3000 so um sorry is, so would that be 3000 is that 30, is that what 30. we'd say 3000 for average size points for thirty hundred points. I, I think people I think people stop at like like the teens. Like once you get into two thousand, I don't think they do. I, I've never heard someone say that. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe in some places in the country they do. I've never heard someone say the phrase like twenty six hundred. Maybe twenty five hundred. I have heard that. But is, that is it a hundred hundred instead of you know a thousand like, or yeah. ten thousand? I don't know. That's a good question. God, you're all with morons. What? What? <laughs> Yeah, so I've been playing uh, 1,500 points, 1,500 points, I don't know, whatever. I, I, um, I, I've said 1,500. How, how many models is that in that size? Um, so you, I do it off bases, and there's five models yeah, that's what I mean. per yeah, base. That's what I mean, um, like these bases. So uh, my list I was tr- messing around with has, um, how does it go? It's two formations. My first formation is a... Dark Angels Demi Company, which has got my commander, um, two tactical detachments of um, four stands each. One of them has six plasma guns in there, uh, which is actually 30 plasma guns. Uh, the other one has um, six missile launchers, and then they all have rhinos. Uh, so the two rhino transport detachments. Not dedicated mm. transports because then they can just drive off and leave them. It's great. <laughs> um, oh, I, I have a unit of ten dreadnoughts. As I there was an accident, or this entire squad of space marines just lost the legs, and it's like, yep, just throw them all in dreadnoughts. It's fine. So <laughs> I, I've got a detachment of ten ten contemptor dreadnoughts. Um, then I have a detachment of. Um, six assault marines and six terminators and they go in um the terminators deep strike the assault marines go in a thunderhawk because they've got jump packs so they can um, assault out of the thunderhawks while it's still flying doesn't have to land or engage hover mode from to get out um which is good um yes. then i think that's a demi company done then i have an armored company which is five predators Four Sicarians with currently I'm running the plasma blaster rays, um, and um, four Kratos super heavy tanks, and then there's a Thunderhawk with those as well because that activates the um, formations of the Hexo Hexodamagran, I don't know, whatever it's called, um, which is a Dark Angel special rule. You have to have three different types of units, and then you get a bunch of advantages. So in my infantry, I get to be implacable for all my units so we don't run away. And they also um, ignore all of the bonuses for people garrisoning buildings uh, when I assault them. 
because I unleash the uh, the Dreadwing and have like um, Forefex, which is definitely not White Phosphorus. We don't commit war crimes here. It's fine. Absolutely not. Um, so my assault marines have done really well because they jump out of the uh, Thunderhawk, land on top of a building. That gives them bonuses to their assault because assault marines are naturally good at assaulting buildings. And then because I'm a Dark Angel, I also make you not get any of your bonuses. So people think they're defending the uh, the the garrisoning structures, and I just come in and clean them out. Uh, Terminator's deep strike in, it's great. And then the um, the armored company, because I've got the Thunderhawk, um, I get to activate the same ability for them, and they get instead of um, all of the infantry stuff, they get vehicle rules, which is that they can just drive over difficult terrain and ignore it. It's great. So I just drive my predators over whatever I need to, shoot all the last cannons at things. Um, yeah, it's been good. I've Ooh. played against um, a solar auxilia list, and I've played against an iron hands list with some um, night household support. And then, yeah, I've been doing a little bit of painting this last couple of days. Um, just I've the old Citadel painting station, um, where it's supposed to like sit, be able to rest on your knee and has the the bespoke cutting mat that fits in, and the uh, the the old paint pots that slot inside it and everything. Uh, I've still got that from years ago, and um, I just throw that on the kitchen table while I'm looking after the kids, and then whenever there's a quiet moment, I've just been trying to throw paint at models to try and get back into a habit and get progress made again. On, the, so, on, that, on that size of model, do you go heavily into detail, or do you just slap paint and try to... Um, you just cheat and make it look like you tried. Right? Um, making sure you've got a nice contrasting colour. I posted um I saw in the, the yeah. in the Legions Imperialis channel on the Discord if people want to check it out. But um obviously Heresy or Dark Angels are all black, so it's a pretty bland and dull army to do, in honesty. It the reason I play Dark Angels generally is so that I can paint green, black and bone coloured stuff and not get bored painting an army. In mm-hmm. the Heresy they're all black, so I don't get that anymore. Um but I'm making progress. They're all sprayed black, so we're practically finished anyway. It doesn't matter. Gotcha. Um, I made a new type of base to go with them, which I need to add to the, uh, the website. But um, I didn't like the fact that all of the models come on um, sculpted bases, as if it's um, like a city. And yeah. I was like, well, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to put just the base material on top of it, because then you kind of sink the models in. And because they're so small, you kind of lose some so i made um countersunk bases so i can put my basic material inside that and then they sit at the normal height and then the models look decent on top of them which hopefully shows in the pictures i'm not sure no i think it does a pretty good job yeah yeah um then there's been a bunch of reshuffling at work so theoretically um from monday moving forwards i'll be doing my new job role um, which is still doing miniatures night on Tuesdays. And then uh, I know I'm going to do any ordering or anything. I don't run any department, anything like that anymore. All I'll be doing is um, running um, like intro games or like game night for uh, Song of Ice and Fire is what we're starting with. Ooh. So I have my Bolton army. Um, I grabbed a Baratheon box to be the counterpoint to that. But living the dream actually... Be getting paid to play um, 
yeah, getting paid to play game, miniatures games at work. Um, then I've played a little bit of X-Wing. I had one game of Song of Ice and Fire just to kind of get the rules back in my head. It's been a while since I'd played that. Um, I got lazy and stumbled across uh, what turned out to be a, a harsher list than I wanted to play. Um, <laughs> Oops. Oh, it was fine. I just not very intro game friendly, so I need to rejig all of that. Um, then, yeah, I'm waiting for Old World. I've been designing um, Old World based adapters so that I can not have to rebase my Empire and my um, Goblin Army. So those are mostly done now. But I, I need, still need to actually go through and actually glue them all to a basis. Um, but yeah, that's been great. I've not managed to play Aerodome yet, although it did arrive. Played a game of Legion. Um, I got my Dark Troopers out and played with Moff Gideon and some Dark Troopers. Uh, did some cheating in that game. It's great. <laughs> so Dark Troopers are a, a speed one unit, and it uses like, a movement tool, same as like, X-Wing and stuff does. And they can only perform one move per activation, but they get to activate twice. So they're like slow and methodical, but you can kind of outplay them with position and stuff like that, and it's one of the weaknesses. So then I was like, well, you can take the transport, which is on a really long base, and normally you can't enter and exit a transport in the same turn because you can normally only activate once. Dark troops can activate twice. So they move speed one to the back of the transport, and then it's open top so I can shoot out of it, measuring from the front of the transport. And then on the second activation, the unit gets out of the transport, moves forwards, and then shoots again. And I've covered like what would have taken me four activations worth of movement is done in a single turn. And um, I can do that. Yeah, that's, that's a little cheaty. Yeah, it's great. I love it. It's, it's good. Uh, deploy it <laughs> diagonally uh, across your deployment zone so that you can basically start the game, turn one, get your dirt troops into the center of the board, and um, just give people problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, trying to think what else. I thought I'd been doing a bunch of gaming, but um, it's been pretty, pretty busy, stressful times of kind of shaping up what my new role is going to be is it's like um we're going to get this other person to do miniatures want you to do event stuff and want you to do um, social media stuff but those job roles didn't exist so like, over christmas and all of that was a lot of stress of like well, i've just lost like 60 to 80 hours a month out of how much work i need to do mm -hmm. um but turns out i was probably overworking considering it's a game store, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was probably putting a little bit too much into it, so my work-life balance is a lot better now. Been a lot less sleepy. Well, that's a lie, because Ayla's been <laughs> teething. A back teeth had come, uh, came in this week, so um, that was difficult, very tiring. Uh, but yeah, I have an X-Wing tournament tomorrow, which is why we're recording on Friday instead of Thursday, because Ed couldn't make yesterday. But I said... I need to do a shorter show today. It says 47 minutes in. Um, well, I was just going to say that because I legitimately yeah. just got an, a text from my boss that asked me to look into something. And I was like, well, if Chris needs an early night, like I'm okay holding the topic until next episode because it's kind of an evergreen topic we can talk about at any time. Um, if you wanted to make this a little bit of a shorter show, we can just say that we shot the shit for a little bit and uh, we can button it up there. 
I mean, we can. Well, I mean, I'm going to be honest, Ed. I think that your topic is really interesting, but I don't think it's long. So, okay, I'm if willing. You, to, if I'm you've willing. got like, I mean, if you want, we can move on to it now. If you want to, I'm kind of done just rambling. But um, yeah, I think I because I think I've got a really coherent point on your main topic, and then we can see where we go from there. If we don't think we've covered it, we can always come back to it. Maybe we'll do a part two. You never know. Okay, so <clears throat> the main topic for the evening, the one that I wanted to bring to the this is the one that I was trying to hold on to for Halloween, and then I realized I didn't have a show in the month of October, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to put this in my back pocket and come back to it at some point in time, which is can horror games be done correctly in a tabletop um, RPG setting? Uh, and when I say correctly, I want to, th- I'm, I'm talking about, um, fantasy, I feel like is right. I feel like there's, a, I, it's obviously the first one, one of the big ones that has ever been done. I definitely get the feel that I'm playing a fantasy game. I get the fantasy feel if you're playing a, a good Dungeon and Dragons game. I think sci-fi is another one of those ones. It's kind of easy to pull off to get the sci-fi, sci-fi feel to it. Space aliens and spaceships and ray guns and that kind of stuff. You get that kind of feel. But horror has always been one of those ones that I've never quite felt translated well to a tabletop environment. When I think of horror, I think of suspense. I think of like anxiety, claustrophobia, um, like those kinds of feelings when you're playing a game. And I haven't played a game that I felt like translated that well. There have been good attempts, but I don't think that they translated very well. So it brought the question to mind of, well, can it be done well? Are there games out there that do it well? And if so, how do they do it? I, I think this, I think, and then I'll I'll go from experience with when you're talking about horror or that, uh, you know, the, the darker, the darker uh, gaming that you can have in, in, and I'm not just talking, because you can have horror in anything. You can have horror in D&D if you want, you know. Sure. Castle Raven um, is a good, a good one. Well, to e- even outside of that, you know, it's, I think one of the problems with horror in in role-playing is if you don't have a DM that's good at describing horror is very difficult Um, because horror is whereas fantasy you're playing off of, you're playing off of, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, the movies you have that to go with is kind of like your, your brain power for imagine your imagination. But when it comes to horror, you know, like alien, because you've tried the alien RPG game before, yeah, sure did. I, 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 I thought I, that was one of those good attempt games. Yeah, I mean, a good attempt. But one, I, I always think that when it comes to horror in role-playing is you have to have a good DM or GM or whatever you want to call it. But you also have to have outside mechanisms that set up that feel for horror, different from fantasy. You know, fantasy, you can play in a lighted room and everybody can think about it. But horror... When you watch a horror movie, you know, uh, what was the last movie we just watched? The Relic? The Relic, yes. It's supposed to be a horror movie. You know how dark that movie was and you could barely see anything in it? Mm-hmm. If you could bring that ambiance out into your role-playing game where you have the jump scare type things, you have all those weird, uh, I don't know, the the weird physical things that you have in horror that you just don't have in other genres, 
you you would have to be able to create an ambiance that's outside of just the material of the game. You know, play in a darkened room, candles, and a lot of people don't like that. You know, a lot of people go back to the 80s when, you know, all the satanic stuff was going on or mm, the satanic or, panic or the people who were making fun of the nerds that were playing D and D and dressing up while they're playing, you know, having like, if you were playing a horror setting, you know, think about this way. If you could make Salem's lot, a RPG horror setting story, that's a great place to start because literally the material itself is a horror show. Um, but then you could create your set, you know, your lighting is lower, you have candles, you have, you, you have music that fits that, you know, where you can, if you can time your jump scares to the music, um, in your role playing, I think that that has a lot to do with it, but I think it's very hard to do. You know, I, I don't think that horror, because like when you look at Ravenloft, Ravenloft, isn't a horror setting it's it's a how do you want to put it it's a demi-plane of horror but it's very hard to get bring that horror out you know strad to me is not intimidating you know he just isn't that intimidating he's just powerful you know and there's not enough that they put into something like that that makes it scary you know there are times when it's scary but it's not to me a horror setting would be everything scary you know and I go to Salem's Lot, or if you want to play zombies, uh, Night of the Living Dead, the original Night of the Living Dead, and having right. that that type of a feel to it, where where everything is pressure. That's the other thing about it too, is with horror, you're putting a lot of pressure on your players. And if you're not doing that in a horror setting in RPG, and everybody's able to back out and joke around, and you know, do kind of like what we did, where you're metagaming so much and you're not into the game. I just think it would be very hard to have a good horror setting, a horror feel for a game that's a horror game. Yeah, no, all of that makes sense. I agree. I think, like, I agree with you, like, the environment would have to be very different than the games you're used to playing. They would have to kind of set a mood to the room outside of the game that would be extraordinarily helpful to kind of set that mood. I like the idea of like timing your jump scares. Like at first of all, I always feel like jump scares are kind of like cheesy in, in horror films, but when they're done correctly, um, they can be effective as long as they're not overused kind of thing. Right. So yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm feeling you a little, do you have any of examples of games that you may have, or wait, I, Chris said he's going to sum this up in a point. So maybe I, I want to kick it over to him and then I'll, I'll kind of go with my second one. So go ahead, Chris crush my dreams. So no, I think Sean covered half of the point, though, of having a DM who's, like, good at verbal descriptions, and that's part of the reason here. Like, are, do you consider, like, the campsite ghost stories, is that scary? Can you do that? You know, well, I think some of those stories can be done correctly, yes. But it's that kind of thing where everyone in that situation needs to opt into it which is where you've got to help for players as well need to want it to be that one of the reasons why i think i felt personally that um my campaign where we played strad failed a little bit is because it wasn't scary there were some elements and things in there but like you've got um a dragonborn paladin you've got a an you know yeah. An elf ranger who's lived for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the 
these people have um, have that like. Is it going to be scary for a character, or is it going to be scary for a player? How do those two things line up? Um, and then, like, if the players don't don't want to be scared, and not going to be scared because it's not happening to them, right? It's happening to the character. So if they don't have a level of attachment to a character, nothing you can do is going to make that scary. Right? It's impossible because yeah. there's no there's nothing to lose. You you literally as a player and Chris is 100% if you're not sold on this as a player you're going to buy into it 100% it won't work yeah and that's not to say I think it can be done I just think that in the same way as um, telling ghost stories can be scary that it's the ever the buy-in from everyone and Sean covered some good points of the ambiance to the setting I don't think you can do it very well in the setting that we played, I think having um, an online game doesn't lend itself to being scurry. I don't think you can be in chips at the table. Uh, you know what I, I mean? I think yeah. everyone's yeah. going to be invested in the game because, like, and it's not in this, like, you, you can go down a bunch of rabbit holes here of, like, is it disrespectful to be? No, if you have a game where people eat snacks at the table, that's fine. You just can't play a horror game. Right. Uh, even one of the things I was going to comment on was like Alien was great. I think the system does a really good job of ratcheting the tension and anxiety in Alien is was a real thing. I don't think it's scary because generally your characters die, so you don't have the attachment and there's nothing to lose. Yeah, I felt that too. Especially yes. whenever they basically recommend for the game, like, oh yeah, take all these pre-made characters because someone's definitely going to die. At least multiple people are going to die. So you can't really get too attached to your characters. See, yeah. and I, th- I think that's the backwards way of doing it. You know, what, but, what they have to do is they have to make you invested in your character. Yeah, and I mean, it's really strange. Like, do you play, do you invite people over to play Alien RPG? And play a month's worth of sessions where you're, there's no threat and no danger. Let mm-hmm. everyone hang out in character, and I think you can do that and have fun. But again, that's a different type type of game. You've got to have right. it's basically an improv group at that point, right? You know what I mean? Uh, and I think there are groups who could pull it off. I don't think it's something that we could ever successfully pull off over Discord. I'd n- I don't think it's possible for any one of us to run a scurry game for the other people. Right. So right. It, it, and I'll give you a quick example of something that in an RPG that was unbelievably scary in the moment. Um, I played a long time campaign. I came into it later than the other people that were playing it, but um, I was playing a, a wizard a mage it was a D um or D D, and i was playing a mage and i was playing a fighter i we each had two characters um just because we we had four people playing then it went down to three and then our dm and these were characters that started in like 1981 Ooh. and we were playing them in 1994 Ooh. these are characters that have lasted a long time and under the old leveling system you didn't level and you know you didn't level within the book 
to level 20, you leveled, you know, it was slow leveling. So you really invested yourself in these characters. Well, we were playing Jeff, who was the DM, made a storyline of the big three. And what it was is kind of like Lord of the Rings, but different in a way, where we had to find three artifacts and destroy them. Well, one of them was set in the Desert of Desolation. This was the third campaign. This was the third story of the big three final stories. And the three artifacts that we had to find was the Axe of the Dwarven Lords, the Ring of Gax, and then the third one we were trying to find the Jacinth of Inestimable Beauty. And while we were doing that, we learned very strangely through a either a mind read potion or we took control of a creature and it told us how to get it but basically for us to get to this room we had to go through a a teleporter but the teleporter you had to throw in this certain type which was sitting right next to it and it looked just like a bonfire but it was actually a teleporter and you had to throw this weed into it and then jump into it after you did it, and then you would teleport into this room, and you all did it individually. Well, inside the room, when you went in, and we're deep, deep, deep in the in the desert, and we're in a pyramid, and we don't know what's going on. We're just trying to figure step by step. We're taking everything so slow because we've done all, you know, we've been through this before where everything is now a very suspenseful moment, and we were all married into this thing we were all just sold on these characters in the story but when we when you went in you go through the teleporter and you end up in this room it's a big room it's a circular room and it has two just dead black railings that went around and then an altar at the front and what we had to do then is we had to figure out how to move the altar or anything else but we also took the guy, I think we had uh, taken control of this minion of uh, of Tharzanius, which if you've ever done the Temple of Tharsden, um, the whole story was based upon Tharsden, and I can go into that another day. But when you go into this temple, this room, it's kind of dark. It has this black railing and an altar at the front, and it has an outer ring around the altar, which is kind of above, and then it has an inner an inner circular area that would go up to the altar. So you can go two different ways. And when we got in there, we were freaking out because there's just nothing in there. And we're going off with this character, this mind controlled character we have with us. And he tells us, and this scared the living shit out of us because if we didn't have him with us, we never would have known this, but the railing was made of sphere of annihilation. So if you touch it, you're gone. You know, the sphere of annihilation is like the black hole of D&D. And when we heard that, I mean, it scared in the living crap out of us. But we also had music playing and we had mood lighting to go with our being 100% sold into the story. And I wish I wish I still had them. I wish, but we actually re- tape recorded every, every one of our sessions. Oh, my God. And yeah hundreds and hundreds of hours of cassette tapes from the big three adventures and but that's kind of the way that you have to do it is a you have to set it up b you know if if we didn't get lucky and mind control or whatever it was that we did to that character and bring him with us if we'd have left him outside one of us would have been 
annihilated by a sphere of annihilation, never to be resurrected or anything else. Um, that's to me, like if you're there and in the moment and sold on it, that's scary. That's the fear. That's, that's what you're talking about when it comes to having the whole package to scare the shit out of people, you know, and that's what you have to do. You have to have a good DM, good story, ambiance, and everybody sold in and their characters meaning something to them. You know, it's very hard to do it without, you know, because yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, the so. thing is, is that, you know, one of the funniest things I ever heard in my life was about role-playing games is you're, you're either playing the game, you know, for a, like, how do you want to put it, like a positive consequence or, or you're playing it for that, that uh, stress and anxiety that you get with it. Um, you know, it's like going around the corner and saying, boo, isn't going to do it for people. Right. You know, you know, it's having every element set up, you know, the traps, you know, having good traps and not knowing that they're traps. And one of your characters falls down a trap, you know, and lands on spikes, but doesn't kill them, of course, because it doesn't do enough damage, but they have a lot of damage. You know, well, that scares the crap out of you because, you know, the game's real, but you have to love that character group. I agree that emotional attachment to it, like, because then there's, like you said in the other ones, like if you have these throwaway characters, there's nothing, there's nothing really to fear about. Like it's a character you don't care about. There's no investment in it. It's just, they die, they die. Kind of the, the Ivan Drago thing. If he dies, he dies. It's not so much that. It's like, because I think there were times where, again, for just reference the Strad campaign, I think the... All of the off-book encounters, I think, managed to pull it off better. The only on-book thing, I think, I, I recall for you guys was you were uncomfortable um, were in the in the house that you guys ended up owning when you were first exploring it, and I think there was the the crib, and um, yeah, yep. But but, but that's uncomfortable. The, the two but kids. Then, yeah, and that, right, but, but was the the. The empty um, bed bedroom with the baby's crib in it, kind of thing, and I I can't remember what you said. If it was de- definitely was like uncomfortable for you, mm-hmm. but, that bit, but like it's a separation of that's uncomfortable for Ed, but your character doesn't care. And then um, later on, we had the encounter with the uh, the hanging tree in the uh, in the monastery yeah, when you had the like you're trying to solve a puzzle and this thing was going on. And it's like there's a potential for that to be scary. I had all the music set up, but it yeah, it devolves into it being like, well, we do a combat encounter and try and then do the puzzle. You know what I mean? Doing it that way. Um, I know it's not right or wrong, or you know, there's no judgment in how you guys did it. I think still think it was a fun, enjoyable encounter. But like, it has the potential to be scary. It's a creepy thing. You go in as like nooses or stuff was there um and then i think the other one that stands out to me I, my memory was the uh the encounter with the spider like the start of that like you guys spent so long like not wanting to go down the hole like you knew you had to go down the hole <laughs> yeah so like you were definitely apprehensive about going down the hole but you know it doesn't matter how scary it is you're gonna go down the hole because you want the xp Right, and that's that's what what stops it from being a a horror or a, a trep. You know what I mean? There's trepidation there. 
and uh, do we want to do this? It's like, well, we have to do it because this is what the, the encounter is for this. You know what I mean? The, there's always that thing in the back of your head. This is the thing that Chris prepped, so we have to do it. So and that's why it's really difficult to get those aspects, especially in a, a fantasy game. I feel like you could play something like Call of Cthulhu, which obviously I've got more experience with than you guys, I believe, for playing the actual RPG I was wondering if you were going to bring this up because I've never actually played the RPG and I've always wondered if it was how it handled the horror, if it did a good job. I know that there is that whole system of like the psychosis kind of thing and how that kind of kind of plays into the game. But so you, the problem with uh, playing Call of Cthulhu with people who play RPGs is you need to play it like three times before we understand what's happening. <laughs> so like, it's in like three full campaigns because... At no point do you level up. You're you're not going to be a hero. You're probably not going to survive. So you uh, and obviously Lovecraftian horror is a different type of horror. Right. Um. Like, um. I played um with the crates and Paul Heaver. Paul ran um the Beyond the Mountains of Madness campaign, which is the the riff from Mountains of Madness, the novel, the actual like. The prelude to that is you, you've, you're supposed to read Mountains of Madness as it's an actual, um, it, the story that Lovecraft wrote is written as um, an account of what happened to them. And you find the written account of what happened to the last thing, the mm. last expedition. So, like, Paul was like, okay, before next, uh, end of a session, it's like, okay, for next week's session, I want you to all to read mountain of madness because that's the hand that you've just been given um you know what i mean it's that kind of thing and then yeah. like at no point in that was it scurry or um like did i feel anxious about it but like there's again there's uncomfortable stuff in there there's um like i suppose like the equivalent of like body horror kind of things right. in it and it's a sense of helplessness that you end up left with is what that that one's striving for but i think that there's potential for a, a more fearful encounter i i did um one of the ones i was i used to run at the store it was based on the uh yeah come card game i basically stole the intro to that and that was um like very strange you in a house and it all changes and morphs and it's like incantations are being cast and you end up in the basement and there's like noises and scurrying and like tent you know you're ratcheting up attention at every point and doing the classic like horror like horror tropes but i suppose like the the poignant thing i would have probably said is it's like are books scurry i think some books can be I like. I remember like, reading Stephen King books whenever I was a kid. Yeah. That scared the living pants off me. No, I, and that's like I don't. I've never really been a horror person, um, but it's like it's the music and the tension. I I've I read read. I think my favorite Stephen King book is probably The Dark Side. Uh, I read that one a few times. That's and, not a bad um, one. And I don't know that I would. Again, it's like it's unnerving. It builds attention, but I don't know that it's the same thing as like um, I'm trying to think of a film that I turn off. 
and if I try, like, I suppose Alien. Uh, there's one for you. I don't think I've ever watched Alien all the way through in one sitting. Oh, for me, heresy. Oh, it's scary. I don't like it. Oh, well, that's true. That is true. <laughs> what do you want from here? This is what we're talking about. <laughs> I, I don't like it. To, uh, that, oh, that's the thing, isn't it? Like uh, at any point, whereas in I'll turn Alien off. If we're playing a role-playing game, someone's going to crack a joke. Someone's oh, sure. got, you know what I mean? When they get to that point, they can't just turn it off, but something else happens that kind so, of... So here, yeah, here's, a, well, here's a question. So would it be better to play a horror RPG game with people who aren't fans of horror? And the reason why I say that is because the horror, and I call them horror snobs because I know a lot of people that love horror. It's just like the the people that listen to the the crime podcast all the time. You know, they they absorb that, they want that. You know, they they need that horror feel in a movie. But when you're trying to do it in an RPG and you're playing it with people who love horror, are you going to be able to scare them? Because they're they've already seen those things, they've already done those things in horror movies. Where if you take people like Chris, maybe you know, like me, I'm not a fan of horror myself. I am not a big fan, and I'm like Chris. I have actually never watched Alien start to finish. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and and I get it. I get it. I get it. it. Is I mean, it's absolutely a scary film. As I've gotten older, because I don't really like. I don't go into things with the, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the squeamishness that I used to when I was a lot younger, or I could sit through it. If it was on TV, I could sit through it. It's like I watched The Relic, and in my life, that would not have been a movie for me. The only the only real horror movie that I would say that I've ever sat down and enjoyed was Prince of Darkness. That's it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um. But beyond that, you know, all the jump scare type stuff, I'm just not into that type of thing. It's And, you know, it's, I don't know, I just never really grew up enjoying that type of thing. Um, but if you, if you had people who you put into a horror setting that weren't desensitized to horror, who, like Chris and I, who, now I, I'm still not a good person because I read Stephen King, which to me isn't horror, it's... I don't know how to describe his stuff. I like it, but it's not like horror. It's more fantasy to me. Um, you know, would would you be more successful at a D, as a DM if you could get people who aren't intru- like aren't into horror, you know, in their life normally, and who you could buy off to really care for their character? Would that be a better way to do it or a worse way to do it? And I think it's what payoff are you looking for from your horror in the tabletop game? Because if you like, you can't do jump scare horrors. Like, what? Do you, just let me get this map out, guys. This dog's going to yeah, jump yeah. through the window like you in Resident Evil role playing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they'll figure it out before you've got the map out that they're probably going to have something happen. So you can't do jump scares. So it's got to be that. But like the only so that way you... uncomfortable feeling that parano- paranoia um doesn't really yeah. work i don't think uh because i suppose again it depends on the system like a game like um 
I've not re- read the rules fully yet, but maybe a game like um, Blade Runner could do paranoia really well. Oh, yeah, yeah I would think so. Um, Cyberpunk does it pretty well. But a, a game like D&D doesn't do it well because mm-hmm. players are players and they're playing a game and they'll just keep insight checking until one of them rolls a 20 and then they want you to tell them everything. Mm, yeah, good point. I'm going to use my wish spell to want to know all of the information now. Oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, I suppose we're done. <laughs> Guess yeah. that ends that. Yeah. But like, I've, I thought, and you've played probably more alien RPG than I have now, Ed, that um, like the, the stress mechanic for it builds up really well and makes you not want to roll the dice. Yeah, it makes you want to... And, like, and that stress and anxiety is the feeling they're going for. Yeah, that's one of the ones that I guess it was a good attempt at doing horror in a game, and it was because it affected the dice mechanics. Well, I, I think that, um, I suppose, like, I don't know that it's trying to be a horror game, because I, I don't know that you can have horror and a game. You know what I mean? Mm, because now there's an because of the fact that it's... Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying it's interesting. I'm trying to clarify the, the game type because I think a game like Silent Hill does a, is a horror game. Oh, God. I think a game like The Thing was a um, a good horror game. I think playing The Thing board game or the um, Battlestar Galactica board game or those hidden roll things have that paranoia. Um, and then... Yeah, I think like games can make you feel different things. Like I remember playing uh, Captain Sona with um with Jill where we we were on a four player team playing against another four player team. And I loved that game. I thought it was great. Jill hated it cuz it felt like a job but and she felt like she was bad at it. Oh, the stress in that game if you're not playing with the right group is unbelievable. Yeah. And I so- and no, but that's it. You've got a job to do, and you have to do it well, or you're letting people down. It's stressful, but mm-hmm. that's the that is the idea of a game. I remember playing the uh, the XCOM board game. It has a very similar feel, and it's all timer based, and you're playing against the game. You're all working together, but if you don't do your job quick enough, the timer goes off, run out, and it ruins everyone else's thing. And it, it that's the game. It's eliciting those feelings that it's trying to elicit, but so here's a question. So, so the definition of horror, because what we're talking about, I think, is two different things. Because, like, you know, is horror the gross out, or is horror just this unabashed fear of everything? Because I think that there's different okay. types of horror. There's different types of horror. I think that we talk about. Sure, sure. And I think what I was kind of going for, for me, like a good horror film, like, again, I'm not super into the jump scare, maybe one or two jump scares if they're done properly and done in the correct context of tension can kind of do. But for me, for horror, it's always that level of like anxiety, the feeling of like, you know, claustrophobia, the walls are turning in everywhere I go. It's going to be like, like something bad's going to happen. Like those kinds of feelings. I I I would put money on if you had a heart rate monitor on when we were playing strad your heart rate and anxiety levels would have gone up at points probably probably but that's balanced by the atmosphere and what else you're doing 
Like, so yeah, I think it can be done. I think it can be done well. I don't know that it's easy. I also don't know that it's necessarily worth the payoff of trying to do it just on a whim. It has to be something that everyone's in for. That makes any sense? Like, yeah, no, that makes sense. There's no point. I want I as a DM want to run a horror session because it's uh, Halloween. It's probably not going to pull that off, right? I I think, and like especially D and D, going back to what the crux of the conversation with the most popular role playing game, there was a bunch of um, funhouse dungeon type of stuff that uh, people run. Um, I remember I can't remember if I ran or played in it, but it was a Warhammer Fantasy role play. Um, like Funhouse Dungeon, which is like it's that kind of thing. Um, they when you just you can drop it into any of the cities basically that they go to, and it it's a haunted house, and you go through and like spooky stuff happens, and I but it's a one shot that doesn't really work if you drop it into any campaign. You have to have the right group, but. Right. If you sell it as what it is, and that's what people sign up for, then I think you can do it. But I definitely think that the I would put probably more onus on the players, Sean, than I would with DM. I think obviously a good DM is going to make any game better, and you can have a person who's a good DM at different things. So a the DM you described would probably be better at running a horror game than a normal DM. Right. But I think there's more onus on the players to all be in it for that that thing. I think a bad DM could run a good horror game for um, the group of players that want to play a horror game. Yeah. I don't think a good DM could run a good horror game for a group of players who don't want to play a horror game. Correct. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there needs to be buy-in on both sides. I agree. But I, I still think it all also comes down to what horror really is. You know, is horror the gore, or is horror the anxiety, the jump scares, the on the edge of your seat? You know, because I think a lot of people like. Here's the way I look at it: I won't watch Alien because of the diner scene. I know it; I've seen it, but I won't watch it because of it. <laughs> I have seen Aliens more than once, so the sequel I've seen more than once. And then I've seen Prometheus, the last one or whatever it was that came out, which to me, all in the same universe, but aren't the same type of movie. The sure, completely agree. Alien is a horror movie. Aliens is a suspense movie. Yeah, Prometheus. Yeah, say Aliens is a straight up action movie to me. Same. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. To me, action is suspense. You know, it's the because yeah. it has both in there. It has the action, but. That suspense, you know, waiting for people to die. I'm going to jump in, Sean, because I've got a good question for Ed here that I think might bring us closer to your point. How do you feel when you watch Arlington Road? Is Arlington Road a suspenseful film? Does that put you on edge? Kind of, yeah. Because you know the film I'm talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. And it, it starts off normal and it ratchets up and ratchets up and then you get that classic ending but like like that's something you can do in a game but is you wouldn't describe that like that elicits the feelings you're talking about 
but I don't believe any of us would describe Arlington Road as a horror film. Yeah, that's a good It's like a thriller, mate, at best. Um, You know, but it's... Yeah, I think it's it's a a suspenseful drama. Yeah, no, that's a good point. All right, I know we were trying to make this a little bit shorter for for Chris. I think we've kind of had some good points we'll leave this up to the up to the discord for those who've got some ideas if you've got examples of what you would think that a true horror game would do for you maybe drop that in the discord we'll start start a good discussion on that all right so other than that i think that's going to do it for the night we did promise chris an early one i don't know how short we are on this one um Uh, whatever yeah we may have run a little bit later (laughs) than we wanted to we're under two. That's what we can. We're under uh, we're, two. We're about an hour and a half. It's fine. I think we yeah, started recording a... at um, what nine twenty-five ish for Red. Yeah, somewhere around there. Oh. Yeah. All right. So as always, I'm going to say always a pleasure being joined by you, Sean. Yep. Great to be here, Chris. Always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's good to be here. And of course, if you would like to support the show, I highly, highly recommend going over to Chris's site. That would be DiceHate.com. There you can find all of the links that you want to do. The YouTube channel, the Instagram, the Twitter, the the Twitch, the X, whatever you want to call it. Not to mention the Patreon. And of course, if you want to join in the aforementioned Discord, the link would be there as well. Not to mention Chris's store is available. All kinds of cool stuff. Basing material. All kinds of neat things. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask if you were able to get for the store, I don't know if you had these yet. Um, it dawned on me that if I'm going to be taking my sister's Repentia to Adepticon, that they're on the old 28 millimeter bases, and I need to bump those up to 32. And I didn't know if you had any of those 28 to. I was yeah, thinking... I, I've got. I was thinking about redesigning them, but I do have base adapters for uh, 28 to 32s. Perfect. I think I know where I'm going to go to go get them then. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Any? I think that's going to do it. Anything else I missed, Chris? Um, so I was going to drop a bombshell at the end of the show so we weren't all sad. Um, I took executive action, and this is probably... I mean, I don't know. Ed, Ed might actually get mad at me now. We'll see. But um, I started the process to delete the lack of focus page, which is the renamed Nova Squadron radio page. Aww. Because I ch- I went back and looked at it, and it's just the automated responses from when I post the episodes. Like, I do a bunch of stuff through the Dice things, but having that second page, I don't think we were really using it and i was no, like oh. i don't eh, that's not gonna make you mad that does not make you mad at all uh, I, I didn't ask you or talk to you about it, how you felt i just did it that's and i was funny. like you know what i'm gonna speak to him before then and i've got what 20 days left to cancel a deletion but um i figured that you know if we had a year of um reorganizing we would probably come out of it stronger what I can tell you is the lack of focus page on the Dicite one doesn't work. Yeah, I, I'm aware. That's because that's the only one that was linking directly to a Podbean feed, but I need to rejig that page to make it like, if you click on the Deploy of a Garrison one, uh-huh. it yeah. goes through everything and it's all just episodes. But for Pod, it was linking to Podbean, so I need to just tidy it all up. So it's okay. in process. Okay, just for, yeah, I mean, yeah. As long as there is a place to go, I'm that's fine. I, I I'm yeah. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. Um, n- all good, all good by me, dog. Yep, yeah. well, there you go. I, I figured I mean, we could have a close like, episode of a shouting match would have been awesome. 
It, I mean, maybe. Uh, <laughs> legitimately, I think at this juncture in our relationship, Chris, it would take a significant amount for me to actually get angry at you. <laughs> oh, I know. I just I was like, uh, it's probably it's sad times. I mean, it, it was Roy's page, yeah, and then it was uh, it was yours, and then it was like I never felt like it was my page to do whatever I wanted with it anyway. So you know. Yeah, no, no, no. I understand completely. I agree. Um, I did download a hundred percent of everything off it, because uh, that's an option Facebook gives you. So theoretically, I have a zip file somewhere on the computer that has every post that was ever made on that. Yeah, like, I mean, for... at this juncture, who uses Facebook anymore? But also, us older guy. You know, I have been told like, like I, so I was listening to one of the other podcasts I listened to, and they were it was a game I'm legitimately debating playing with you guys at some point in time apparently this there's this card card game of you know you're getting old and the basic premise is you pull a card out of the, you pull a card out of the deck and says you're getting old if xyz and then you have an ability for a redemption to say oh well if you do this you get kind of you don't get being uh, getting old points and one of the cards that was played was still use and operate on a facebook page and i went wait what the kids don't do that shit anymore <laughs> No, they don't. No, no, they don't. It's in like realistically, the thing that means shows how old we are is our Discord still just has a bunch of channels in it. I've not set up any threads yet, which is how I sh I'm supposed to redo it at some point. But again, like effort. Yeah, effort time puts a yeah. I get it. I'm looking forward to that because that is the one thing that I've always felt that Discord didn't have that it should because I lose. Everyone's like, oh, I posted this in Discord. And I'm like, yeah, that was like 70 posts. That's the you know TLDR. Like, I, did, I didn't go back 70 posts to see the thing that you wrote. Yeah, and I, it's good. I mean, I'm kind of trying to find myself again. Um, you know what I mean? There's a, a lot of stuff going on this year about how I want to approach it, especially now that I've got more more time and a work-life balance again now because I, I definitely feel like i've been chasing my tail to you know just stay in the same place but that should touch wood um i've been better last year i don't think i made any promises that i didn't deliver on i might have said i wanted to do some things that i didn't get to do but i never i've i managed to stop saying that i was going to do something and then not doing it um but this year i want to try and allow myself to be able to do things again so yeah no i agree i 100 percent agree and your mental health is more important than an older site that really wasn't getting much attention anyway so i agree yeah one last thing i have to double check isn't being you know used for like nazi propaganda or like <laughs> on right. i don't know right yeah all right, so, okay. so much, well, it was good. yeah, no, it, our friendship is still strong. That nothing happened in that. <laughs> I'm okay with it. All right, that's gonna do it for this one. Hope you enjoyed. We will see you in the next one. And until next time, guys, as always, fly casual. Thanks for listening to a Lack of Focus podcast brought to you by Dice Hate Productions.